going to Luke chapter 15, and, and we're really going to uh, <clears throat> we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 11. Um, but I need to say the story of the prodigal son has my attention. Now, I want to start right off with that statement. That I mean, it's had my attention for years. I mean, for decades as a pastor, I've preached the, the prodigal son, I don't know how many different times. And I've preached it from probably just about every character that's in the story from their perspective. Except, I guess, the fatted calf. And the fatted calf probably didn't have that good of a deal. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But anyhow, it really has my attention. And so we look at Luke chapter 15, and the, the jump-off spot, like I, I wanted to say in the beginning, was... It's really verse verse 17, because we were asking the question, you know, how did he get where he was? He was there, you know, feeding the pigs and kind of basically living with the pigs. And, and, and you know, even he was so poor and so hungry, he was, he was desiring to, to eat the slop that he was feeding the pigs. And, and so how did he get there? Because you think about a hog. I mean, a hog is selfish. And a hog is rooting around. And the hog is bumping everybody else out of the way. And I mean, the hog is about me, myself, and I. Remember, he's, he's about all of that. And, and so how did he get there? Well, there are three ways that we mentioned last Sunday. One, that he wanted satisfaction now, right? He wanted satisfaction now. That was the beginning of his bad decision-making process. The second thing is he left the family. That means that it was about I. It means that before every sentence, in front of every sentence, he is putting I in front. You know, it's I. It's about me. It's about myself. And then the third thing is he had a change of appetite. And rather than having an appetite and being hungry, you know, to honor his father or hungry for God or goodness, he was hungry for the things of this world and pleasures and himself and all of that. And then we come to verse 17. Hang with me. And there's that pivotal, there's that turning moment in verse 17 where he comes to his senses. And he comes to this place where all of a sudden the, the switch flips and he realizes that, man, things are pretty bad. I've made some bad decisions. And he comes to his senses and things begin to change. And so he goes back home. He makes the journey back home. And this is where we pick up in, in uh, chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Remember, that's the signet ring. That's like the, you know, the family credit card, so to speak, how they could, you know, buy things on credit. So he gets the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Now, I'm imagining now, here's this older son. I mean, he's out in the fields. He's out there somewhere and he's laboring away. Maybe he's digging a ditch or, or maybe he's tending the flocks. I mean, there was labor that was happening and he's been doing that all along, remember. And then, then he's approaching the home front, so to speak, the homestead. And he notices the light are ablaze, the lights are ablaze, and, and there's this sound. What is it? It's music. And there's dancing. And, and what's happened is the party has started without him. Have you ever experienced that, 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 you know, they started without you? You know, you're excited about something, you're going to something, and you get there and you're so let down because they, they start without you. That's exactly, I imagine, how this older son felt. And so the older brother became angry, verse 28. So the older brother became angry and refused to go in. I had missed that in the past. I noticed that in this reading of it. Refused to go in, so he just wouldn't go inside. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. 
It's interesting he uses the word, that word there, slaving, you know, because I'm sure that was not the case. He was working, they were family, you know, they were working together, you know, and, and yet he's saying this because I'm sure it's out of his emotion that he is saying this and using this word slaving for you and never, diso- and, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And then the father responds and he says, he says, my son, and I mean, This moves me every time I read this sentence. He says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have. Everything I have. It's yours. It's yours. I I love that, that God is God and he always knows what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? God always knows what he's doing, even if there's a a paradigm shift afoot. That means that it's something that God is doing. He's working in our life. And and we have this process the way we understand things. This is a paradigm. We think of things in a certain way. It has to be done a certain way. The process has to be just so or just like this. And anything outside of that, I mean, we're shaken. And we, we take a double take and we think we shake our head and say, God, what are you doing? It's interesting, you know, what has been happening in the Bible for years, we are just now catching up with in our modern day and age. In fact, the last couple of decades, we've begun to understand, especially in the business world, the idea of a paradigm shift, like the, the modern uh, business model of the Swiss watchmaker. A few decades ago, really about four decades ago, um, the Swiss watchmakers who, uh, I guess, created, started the whole watch building industry, they had 90%, they were the best watches, they had 90% of the watch market. Well, then somebody in America comes up with the idea that we can make a watch not with a face. You see, that's the paradigm. The paradigm is that a watch has to have a face on it. But somebody comes with the idea that you can make a watch with just a digital printout. And so what happens, that happens, that takes off. And you know that the Swiss watchmakers lost almost 70% of the market because they refuse to absorb the paradigm shift. Like the other day, I was uh, reading an article about, um, and I, I just, just kind of blew my mind. Um, ice cream that's not made with cream. <laughs> I mean, what is that? Ice cream that's not, it's ice cream that's made with non-dairy product. And so when I say ice cream, folks, I want cream in my ice cream. I want real, I mean, I want the real thing, okay? I want the fat and cap type of thing. I want the cream. And, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. I understand that. I understand it's delicious, the non-dairy ice cream. But man, I really, guys, isn't that right? I really want the cream in my ice cream. And so it's kind of a difficult paradigm shift to process. And, and so this is the kind of thing that's happening. In fact, it's been happening again in the, the biblical world for, for, for years. Like when Jesus you know, when Jesus healed the, the crippled hand or the withered hand of the, the, the man who was crippled uh, on the Sabbath and the Pharisees had been watching them picking heads of grain, remember, and the Pharisees were irate that, that Jesus was, you know, desecrating the Sabbath. And, and, of course, Jesus responds, but what happens? They go off and they begin to plot to kill Jesus. It's interesting because that's exactly what God had in store anyhow. And so they play kind of right into the Lord's plans. But but you see, Jesus point in regards, you know, to healing on the Sabbath is that there is something of greater value than the paradigm that we have of the Sabbath. That's what he's saying to them. 
There is something of more value because the law, now bear with me, the law is not salvation. I mean, we enjoy the Bible. We love the Bible. It's God's word. It teaches and trains us. But the law is not salvation. The creator of the law is salvation. And the created purpose of the law is to bring glory to the creator. And now the creator of the law is among them. We see this in Matthew twelve eight. What do we read there? For the son of man, a very high Christology here. So it's the son of man. Who is the Lord. And so there's obviously this shift from the law to the son of man being Jesus Christ. And Jesus has shown us that the whole point is God's love. And so now we're coming back to the, you know, to the prodigal son and back to the biblical story. And what is the underlying foundation? I mean, what is the meta story? What is the umbrella over the story? What we get from it? And I understand there are many sermons that we can preach. Like I said, the perspective of every character in the story and there are many understandings and many truths, but the overarching, the meta story of this prodigal son is that God's love trumps everything else. Did you know that? That God's love trumps everything else. The story shows the perfect balance that we need to understand in the midst of, of the conviction and the guilt and the consequences of, of bad decisions and the prodigal son running off and making those decisions and, and squandering his inheritance and all of that to the point that life is bleak and he's in the very depth of the valley and we see that end of the, the scale here. But on the other end, we see the love of the father and there is this balance that, that is brought to the scale because we remember the fact that God's love trumps everything else. Amen. Even the wayward son that is in sin and even the, the son that is bitter and impetuous and the son that is the older son and the son that is jealous that the younger son has come home and he's being blessed by the father. I mean, it's the perfect picture of parenthood because we have a father that is kind of caught in the middle, if you know what I'm saying. He's kind of caught in the middle between the, the son that has been faithful and loyal and, of course, the son that's squandered his, his inheritance and all of that. And, and, and it's a perfect picture of Parenthood, it's not about parenting, and I'm sure the story has been used in parenting conferences, but it's not about that. I propose that this story is about the kingdom of God. In fact, we kind of see that in the first two parables here before this story. You know, Jesus is talking at the end of those, those first stories, those first two stories, about the one sheep that, you know, is found, and of course the coin, you know, that is returned, or the coin that is found, and then there's this celebration heaven that Jesus is talking about. And, you know, in all of this, and we're kind of saying a lot and pulling a lot of the strings together. But what Jesus is really talking about, think about it. Jesus is talking about the extravagant love of the father. And we see the extravagant love of the father as the father puts the robe around the returning son as the father in heaven puts his robe of love around us. And the father of love draws himself in us into himself and he draws us into his holy presence as we are filled by the Holy Spirit and we are sanctified. We've been talking about being sanctified and as his spirit fills us and we are sanctified by his spirit and his presence in our life. We are surrounded by the love of that father, that extravagant love in the robe that is symbolic. Symbolic in this story. And then there's what? There's the ring. He puts the ring on his finger that is the status. And it's the, the ring that provides the resource. And folks, just as God our Father loves us and the love is extravagant, it is a resource beyond all eternity. It is the resource that we have and we find in the Father. And then he puts the sandals upon his feet. And I love that because it's the sandals that is between him and the world. 
And it's, it's, it's God that stands between us and all the pain and the heartache of the world because the loving Father does that for us. You see, what Jesus is talking about is the extravagant love of the Father, the lavish kind of love that Jesus calls us to. The kind of love that Jesus shows us when he lives on this planet and Jesus walks among us is the kind of extravagant love that says that Jesus not only loves us, but it's the kind of love that he calls us to show to others. And you say, well, pastor, how do we how do we we show that kind of love? I mean, how do how do we show how, how do we make sure that people know that we care? I've heard it said in some circles that people don't care how much, you know, until they what, know how much you care. Until they know how much you care. And so I have a little acronym to help me with this. You know, in my own spiritual walk, it's CARE. That's the acronym, C-A-R-E, that I I might, you know, be reminded that I care. Like, for example, the first one, the C, is a a simple reminder of capture that that, that I, I capture their hearts by looking in their eyes no matter their status, no matter the background, no matter the color of their skin, no matter how long their hair is, no matter what their bodies look like, no matter where they're coming from, we show that we care and we love them and we look at them in the eyes as Jesus would look at them in the eyes. And then we become active. That is the A, that we act when opportunity presents itself. We act and we show that we care. I I love the, the memory I have of a men's ministry in one of our churches that was so motivated that they noticed a widow in our church that, that had a, a need. And this began to happen before the pastor ever knew about it. And the men got together and they built a ramp for this widow, you know, to give her a home. They went to the kitchen and renovated the kitchen and they brought appliances and flooring and, and they did this renovation unbeknownst to me because they acted upon their caring for other people. And this reminds us of this. Amen. And then the R reminds us of, of resist justification of lethargy. This, this might be meddling just a little bit, but this means that we stop allowing our schedules to dictate God's call in our life or to prevent God's call in our life. We stop saying, you know, I'm too busy or I can't do that. Or we do not allow distance to be the issue. Oh, we drive in. We're distant. And folks, I believe with God, anything is possible. Amen. And and so the R represents resist justification of lethargy that we do not act as God calls us to act. And the E means exemplify the love of Christ in forgiveness. So what is the illustration? I think the illustration is that God's love says, you know, for you this morning, you can begin again. And maybe that's kind of unexpected. You didn't expect to hear that today. But that's what God's love says. God's love says you can begin again. And I don't know from what walk of life you come or what you've been walking through or going through or how dark the valley is or what you're wrestling with as a parent or or what you've done as a teenager. It does not matter because God's love trumps everything. God's love trumps everything. Amen. And God's love trumps your past. You see, the enemy wants you to dwell in the past. The power of God's love sets you free of the past. The enemy wants you to hang on to the bitter feelings and wrong committed like a fog stifling your ability, like a cancer eating you on the inside out that you forget the love of Christ. The enemy wants you to stay in the realm of self and never to experience the power of beginning again. Hallelujah. God's love says you can begin again. Amen. So this means to share that love with saint or sinner. One son lived like a sinner, the other like a saint. But we get the feeling that the father's love was equal for them both. (laughs) 
Does this mean that the father, the mother does not anguish or worry? Uh, no. You see, the only way to have anguish, the only way to worry is, is, is to have connection. If there's no connection, you know, there's no emotion. But, but part of it is there's connection and we care and so there's emotion and there, there's worry. You see, God's love is, in, is the very same kind of unconditional love. But, but notice this. If I note something this morning, here it is. The father accepts nothing. I mean, read the story a few times. Listen to it. The father accepts nothing in return, just that his love's received. Isn't that like a father or a mother? He, he, he expects nothing in return, just that his love is received. I mean, if there was ever a parable of, of reconciliation and the prodigal son gives us the story and it's not just my story, it's the story of God, the father in heaven, then the story that's unfolded in the story of the prodigal son, that there is a prodigal son that goes his own way and he squanders his his assets and his inheritance and he gets involved in sin and prostitutes. And then there's that moment where there's a change of heart and he then comes back around and he comes back to the father and he seeks the redemption of the father and man, if we ever, ever hear and see a story of redemption, this has to be the story of redemption. I mean, that's the story of Jesus Christ. And I understand and and resourcing people and helping people and being tolerant and all those things. But if we miss the story of redemption, we short circuit God's plan for man. Because the story, the plan is that man is redeemed in Jesus Christ. Amen. Why? Because God's love trumps everything. It trumps everything else. And, and you see, this means that we begin by accepting that love that God has for ourselves. We accept his love for ourselves. Because God love, God's love trumps everything. He loves you. Whatever you're going through, He loves you. His love trumps everything else. Amen? I, I don't think I can dwell on that long enough that, that God loves you and he, he desires to have relationship with you and His love trumps everything else. I, I love the illustration of, of love when I tell the story and I thought about flipping the genders on this and stuff so guys wouldn't look bad, but just bear with me. The story of a husband and wife, they, they were struggling. In fact, things were not going as good as they had in the past. And in fact, they were getting pretty bad. And they realized that their marriage was kind of in danger. And so the wife came up with an idea. They, she said, let's have these boxes. And every day we'll put one slip of paper in our box that we write on. And we write down something that the other needs to work on. And so the husband agreed to that. I don't know why he agreed to that. But anyways, he agrees to that. And so they begin their project, and he has a box and slips of paper, and she has a box of slips of paper, and she starts out, and she writes like, you know, please put your socks away. Uh, another slip of paper, be sure and put the toilet seat down. Okay, guys, ladies? Uh, another, you know, uh, you know uh, clean the garage. I mean, these things that she thinks that he should be doing, she wants to get done. And, of course, the husband, you know, he's involved in the project as well. At the end of the month, at the end of the month, they're having dinner, sitting around the dinner table, and it's time to share with each other. And so she gives her box to him, and he opens up the box, and he reads what she wrote, and he goes, okay. And this she reads... He again takes out another slip of paper and he reads what she wrote. Okay. He takes out another slip of paper and reads what she wrote. Okay. And goes on for, you know, every day of the month. And then when he's done, he's got all that information. 
He slides his box across the table, gives it to her. And she opens it up and she looks at the first piece of paper. And then she sets it down, does not say a word. She looks at the next piece of paper and sets it down and does not say a word. And she goes like this. Every slip of paper had one thing on it. I love you. I love you. Great example for us guys, Damien. Can you imagine if we love our wife like that? How much more that, that our Heavenly Father loves us? His love trumps everything else. His love is extravagant. His love is lavish. And He wants to lavish that love upon you this morning. Amen. And I, I, I know that as we listen to worship and we listen to the words and, and God's ministering, I know that we're receiving that. We understand that. That God's love trumps everything else. And God's love might want to give you a new beginning this morning. And I don't know if you need a new beginning or not. Maybe you do. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Precious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your extravagant love, Father. A love, Lord, with no strings attached. (laughs) A love full of grace. A love full of mercy. A love that says, yes, I'll give you a a fresh start. A love that, that recognizes all of our faults, but loves us anyways. It's possible that, Lord, there's somebody right now that you're speaking to and they're, they're, this is just resonating with them in their heart. And they're going, yes, I, I accept your love, Jesus. And Jesus, by the way, I love you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed and you're just resonating with this and you're saying, God, thank you for your love. God, I, I love you. Nobody looking around. There's no measure here. It's just between you and Jesus. I want to invite you to saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your love for me. Just lift your hand up and say, Lord, I love you. And that's what you're feeling. If you're resonating with that, you're saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. I need this extravagant love in my life. I need to know, Lord, this love that is overwhelming, that covers me, that is mercy, a love that is grace. Lord, I accept that love right now. Somebody else, just lift your hand. Lord, I accept that love right now. That's what you're doing. You're lifting your hand, saying, Lord, I accept that love today. It's your love. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your abundant love. Thank you for extravagant love. And you're lifting your hand saying, Lord, I receive that love today. I receive it. 